Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and we're rolling right along this summer as we continue our summer series to help educators out there recharge and get ready for the upcoming school year. My guest this week is Jake Miller, a longtime educator and tech coach. You know him as the host of the Educational Duct Tape podcast. He also has a book that's going to come out this summer. The Educational Duct Tape book is expected to be out in late July or August. So you certainly want to put that on your radar and be looking to pre-order or to buy that book once it comes out. Jake is a tremendous resource, been podcasting for a long time, has a great Twitter account. You want to follow him at Jake Miller Tech. Also has a wonderful blog where he shares all types of resources uh, for the ed tech space. So you want to check it out. This is a great conversation with Jake Miller as he breaks down, really moving from teacher-directed classrooms to more student-centered learning environments. And that's an exciting conversation you have, uh, especially when you talk about adding digital tools to the classroom. So this is a good one, folks. I hope you enjoy it. My conversation with Jake Miller begins right now. Hi, I'm Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast, a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Reimagined Schools podcast, the show that shines light on positive leadership, technology integration, and innovative solutions to transform our schools. Featuring many of the nation's top educators, tune in each week to hear from best-selling authors, popular speakers, and thought leaders throughout K-12 education as we continue the conversation on how to create better schools for kids. From the podcast studio in Georgetown, Kentucky, here's your host, Dr. Greg Goins. My guest today is Jake Miller, and you know him from the Educational Duct Tape Podcast uh, an Ohio native who's going to be in Kentucky here uh, this summer to do some professional development. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dr. Goins. Thanks for having me on today. Well, I'm a big fan of your podcast. Uh, we both have podcasts on the Education Podcast Network. Yeah, the EPN. And, yeah, EPN. So big shout out to EPN and Chris Nessie. And you're doing some amazing things. I'm a big fan of the podcast personally. I listen to it and uh, you provide so many great resources. So let's just kind of start there. Yeah. Uh, when I when I think of the term or the name of the podcast, uh, educational duct tape. When I think of duct tape, uh, I think of just holding something together for as long as I can before I have to fix it or buy something shiny and new. And I know you get asked this a lot, but just for my listening audience, you know, what is the the duct tape brand all about? <laughs> well, as, as you kind of alluded to there, duct tape is a tool, right? It's something you use to fix something that's broken or isn't working the way you want it to work. Maybe it's a temporary fix, maybe it's a long-term fix, but it's a really uh, useful tool. And I see educational technology in the same way. So years ago, as I started, I, I've been a classroom teacher for most of my years in education. This will be year 19 coming up here uh, for me. And 13 of the, I'm sorry, four, 14 of those 19 years are in the classroom and five are as a tech coach. And as 
I was kind of switching over to being a tech coach years ago. And even before that, as I was trying to figure out how, how can I support educators with technology? Cause I was really excited about what it was doing in my classroom. Uh, I was, I kind of reinvented myself in my years through the, through different classroom roles. And I moved into teaching a STEM class and I was just so excited about what I was doing with technology, not just, you know, the coding and the robotics and the things like that, that we were using the 3d printing that we were doing, but actually how I was using the Google tools to get information to my students, how my students were submitting their work, how efficient it was making my classroom, how it was kind of reinventing my students' ownership of the way they were using tech um, in, in the classroom. That was making me want to share more with educators. And I thought like, how, how what, what do I see these educators needing? I looked at so many educators that were my peers within my own school building, as well as everywhere. I was thinking, what, what are they doing wrong? What, what, what's keeping them from, from uh, integrating more technology? And what I was seeing is they were overwhelmed with it. And so what I started doing with educational duct tape, and the reason that I kind of started having the podcast is I wanted these educators to know, number one, you don't have to use all the technologies. And number two, you don't have to know all the technologies. All you have to do is think about what is it that I'm trying to achieve in my classroom? What's my problem or what's my goal or what's my need? What's the, and there's a lot you're gonna list, but what's the one that's kind of at the top of the pile? What's the one that's most important right now? And then you identify the tool that solves that problem. And so just like duct tape is often a tool that solves problems in our houses or our garages or whatever, uh, educational technology often solves these problems for their teachers and helps them make their job a little easier and also make the learning experience better for the kids. So it's the idea that duct tape is a tool and so is educational technology. You know, I've been podcasting now since I believe 2016. I'm actually on my second podcast. Nice. Um, you know, what is it about podcasting that that really um I, I guess what do you like the most what is what does it allow you to do that maybe you couldn't do if you had just a, a web blog or mm. sharing links to a website mm. well i think the first thing is i i'm a podcast lover myself I, i've been listening to podcasts since probably 2006 or so uh in the early days especially they weren't educational podcasts you know i was listening to podcasts about music and fantasy football and stuff like that but i i've just I've been a podcast listener for now, you know, almost 15 years now, and I, I, I listen to them voraciously. So that's the first part about it. But the second I, I found, and it's it kind of parallels with that educational duct tape idea, right? Sometimes we try a technology out in our classroom thinking it's going to be the right thing for us. And then we discover, well, it, it, it fixed this part of the goal or it addressed this part of the goal, but now I still have to handle this. Um, or sometimes we're like, well, I thought this was going to do it, but this didn't quite do it. So I, I started off with blogging and tweeting and things like that. And I still do that. But what I found was lacking from that was number one, my voice. Like I, I wanted, it's like when you give feedback to a student and they're feeling overwhelmed by the feedback, right? And you bring your voice and you have that one-on-one -on -one conference with the student and it's different. The student understands where you're coming from. They feel that compassion in your voice. And so I wanted the educators to hear that in my podcast. I didn't want them to just feel overwhelmed by these tips on my blog or on Twitter, but I also wanted to make sure they understood. It's kind of the message that I couldn't fit into a tweet and couldn't really get into a blog post of, look, this is a great educational technology tool that you might use, but here's why you might use it. And here's also your permission to maybe not use it too, right? And I think I feel like in a podcast, I'm able to have that actual conversation with the listener, with that educator and say, look, it's okay if you choose not to use this, but here's the reason you might choose to. And if you choose to, or if you have this problem, here are the things you might consider for it. And I think hearing it from somebody's voice, especially if you then listen to the podcast over and over again and begin to trust that voice, uh, helps that pill be a little easier to swallow, I think. 
And, you know, I work with a lot of educators that aspire to be principals, assistant principals, any type of school administrative role. And, and I, I tell them all the time, I think every school leader in every school should have a podcast. Mm. I mean, it, it's so easy to do. I remember when I first started, it was difficult to actually get a podcast recorded, actually get it up on iTunes. But you know, technology tools today, yeah. it's so easy. You can use an app like Anchor and get it up mm -hmm. pretty quickly. Yeah. And, and um, you know, a lot of principals will tell me, well, what do I talk about? Well, there's something great going on in your school every day. Yeah. You just have to tell your story. And if you can get kids involved with student voice, you know, just go to the library and take a microphone with you and talk to kids and yeah. think about the, um, just the, the positive vibes you're going to send throughout your community. Yeah. Well, and I, to be honest, like a little, little peek behind the curtain, uh, I, when I started it, had some personal goals that the podcast met for me too. So there were those goals of supporting educators in a way that I couldn't support them with, with social media and with uh, a blog, but also personally, I wanted to get better at my own speaking. I wanted to get better at formulating my ideas about these different things. I wanted to, to travel and speak and, and support educators more. And I needed a way to get my voice out there, but I also... I found that maybe when I was a guest on a podcast, like, like, like we're doing here and a, a question would be thrown my way, I wouldn't be able to formulate my response quickly enough. I, I, I had to like really kind of think it through. And I found that it was that situation where 20 minutes later I'd go, Oh, I know what I should have said. And now I don't feel that anymore because I feel like I've really honed my voice by doing the podcast. I've, I've helped my doing these interviews over and over again, helps me know know my voice, know my opinion, know where I stand. And not only has it helped people hear it, but it's helped me say it. It, it helps me formulate the, where my stance on these different things and, and get the, get the thoughts out there. And, you know, to an administrator or an educator looking to start a podcast, I think the important thing to understand is you're not going to start with hundreds or thousands of listeners. You, you might not even start with dozens of listeners. You might start with a handful of listeners. And that's, that's kind of ideal because when you're putting it out there and you're a little bit worried that your message might not be quite right yet, or your sound might not be quite right yet, or you might not be ready for it just yet, you don't have a whole lot of listeners out there and you could develop your voice and your style and your skills while you develop your audience. And then by the time you've got hundreds or thousands of people listening to you, then you're at the point where you're truly ready for it. So you're, you're growing personally as you grow that audience too. Yeah, and I think that's well said. And you also hit on Twitter a little bit. And mm -hmm. I, it's funny, I just had uh, in my memories, my Twitter, my Twitterversary, I think oh. I've been on since 2009 or something like that. But uh, you know, you're very, uh, very good on Twitter. You can follow Jake at Jake Miller Tech. You share a lot of great resources. You know, just the other day, uh, I put something out on my Twitter feed to my PLN. I'm trying to identify the top 10 digital tools for school administrators. And, you know, within an hour, you know, I have several different things coming in, you know, suggestions like Autocrat, you know, for mm. Google Sheets and Loom and Cami. And some of these things are even new to me. Yeah. So what is it about Twitter still? You know, I, we've been through the Twitter chat phase and I still jump in in one once in a while. But Twitter is just continues to build momentum with educators. Mm. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I continue to see 
Um, you know, I look at my notifications and I still have, you know, a handful of new educators following me every day. And I'm like, where are these people coming from? How are they not on already? And how are there more left to join? And you're right. It keeps growing and growing as Twitter, I'm sorry, as Instagram and Facebook and TikTok grow as places for educators to learn too. You know, we have some educators going there, but Twitter keeps growing. Um, I I'm on all of them, but my favorite far and away is Twitter. Um, I like that there are different options. I, I like that if you're an educator who, like Instagram matches your style more or TikTok or Facebook. I like that that's there for you. So I like that everybody can kind of pick their own flavor of where to get that, that, um, that support. I, I think that what I really like about Twitter is the conversational nature that, that you kind of alluded to and the sharing where you could put up a question and you get all of these different voices and everybody's supporting each other. They're all almost all very supportive voices. Um, and you, you can always learn something new or I, I'll hear, you know, I'll ask a question similar to the one you asked, and I'll hear some answers of tech tools that I'm familiar with, but haven't used. And that gives me the push to go try it out. Um, so I, I love it as a medium because things are short and sweet and bite-sized. I can, you know, while waiting, uh, you know, to, to board a plane or something like that, if I've got three minutes while I'm waiting in the line, I could, you know, thumb through Twitter. Or if my son, you know, runs upstairs to get a toy while I'm playing with him, I could thumb through Twitter and learn two new things in the time that he runs up the stairs and back down the stairs. And it, it's a perfect bite-sized learning for, I think, the lifestyle of parents and of educators. And, you know, another thing you and I have in common is we're both first-time authors. Mm, uh, we're yes. both currently working on a book. And quite frankly, Jake, it's been the most rewarding yet frustrating and challenging thing I've ever tried to do. It's, uh, I just, I have so much respect for people that write, uh, someone like a Todd Whitaker that's written 30 some odd books. I just don't know how, how you do something like that. I'm still trying to get my manuscript uh, to my publisher. Let's just talk a little bit about your writing process and what that's been like for you this summer. Oh my gosh. It has been so much work. And I've had that same experience when you look at somebody who goes like author of seven books or author of nine books, or they have a new book out and you're like, how are you doing that? I'm, I'm just nearing the finish line of one book. And I'm like, I don't know if I will ever do this again. Um, but I think, I think you're right with the rewarding part. I think you and I both are nearing that point where we get to reap the rewards and then we might go, all right, I could do this again. Right. And we, we see that excitement, but yeah, educational duct tape, uh, the book comes out probably late July or early August. We're not sure of the exact release date. I'm hoping to get out as soon as possible. I want to hit a little bit of that, that summer reading time. I know educators are looking for a book to read poolside. Maybe they're not looking for an education book, but I hope that I can um, amuse them with my style while they're sitting there doing it. But yeah, it's, it's been a lot of work. And that's also another thing the podcast did for me is it helped me hone that message that I wanted to get into the book and hear, see what resonates and what doesn't resonate. Cause you get that feedback from the podcast and I go like, Oh, I, people are tweeting about this. This is something good. I should elaborate on this idea. I should keep working with this idea and put it out there. Um, but I, I don't know about you. I, I started the, the true writing experience when this, the, the earliest roots of this book uh, probably were about five years ago when I started thinking about this. So it's been a very, very, very long process. The real work has been over the last year, but there's been, I've been doing parts of the work for a long, long time. It's a, and it's a lot of work. It's definitely a labor of love for sure. You know, anytime you're labeled as the ed tech guy or the ed tech expert, of course, you're going to get the constant question. Everyone wants to know what, what apps to use, what digital tools to use, what websites to go to. And in your book, I mean, you're going to have 80 plus ed tech tools that you're going to share. I mean, that alone is exhausting to me. So yeah. how do you kind of navigate that landmine of, of all those tools? I, you know, one of the, um, 
you know, the, the language you used was bite-sized instruction. Mm. And the educators are just completely overwhelmed with where to go to find things and what to try because time is very valuable. Yeah. So I, I wanted to do a couple things with the book and, and I, I realized some of those landmines as I was planning it out. So one thing I wanted to do the book to be is I, I know as much as I love education and talking about education and, you know, you could see me, me and you are in, in Zoom right now. You can see a, a pile of books on the shelf behind me. I am not a big lover of education books. There are certain books that really resonate with me, but I find the if it feels like I could have read that book as part of one of my master's classes, I'm, I'm probably not going to choose to read that book. Like they, they just feel tedious. So I, I didn't want to write a tedious book. I know there's value in those books, but I also know that there are some readers that just don't want to read them. And so I didn't want to write one of those because I knew I didn't, I, that, that's not my style and that's not what I want to read either. So I wanted to write a book that was conversational and fun. Um, and I also wanted the educators to read the book and feel comfortable using educational technology. So I wanted about half of the book to be focused on making them feel comfortable and telling them that they can do it and they don't have to do it all, but they can do the things that they want to do. And then I wanted to supplement that with supporting them with the educational technology tools. And there's so many out there, as you alluded to, there's more than 80 mentioned in the book. And I, I can't, I mean, the book would be the size of a Harry Potter book if I went into great detail about each of them. I don't want to do that. So what I tried to do is cover each of them in a few paragraphs and say, here's why you might use this tool, kind of like we do on the podcast. It's not enough that you're going to leave being a Pear Deck expert or a Nearpod expert or a Flipgrid expert, but you're going to know if you want to use Pear Deck or Nearpod or Flipgrid or whatever, you know, the other 77 tools, it's going to help you make that decision. And then on the, on the backside of the book, I have a website where if you like, if you're going like, okay, I do want to use Pear Deck, then you go to the website and learn how to use Pear Deck. I've got these videos. Some of them are me and some of them are ones I've curated from people that I trust uh, that then if you're inspired to use that tool or this tool or this tool, you go learn it from there. You know, my hope is that they, the educator reads it and they have fun while they are reading it. And then it goes on a bookshelf where it's handy. And when they need a new thing, maybe they need to learn about some formative assessment tools or some classroom instruction tools. They could grab that book and look up, okay, which one should I learn about? And then go learn just that one and not feel overwhelmed by it. And obviously the goal of technology is to enhance the learning. It's not mm -hmm. a substitute for the teacher. And I think that's a message that all of us need to continue to kind of bang that drum. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of times people get caught up into, oh, well, this is a really cool new thing. We want to try it. But, you know, you have to come back to why or, well, you know, yeah. where is it going to fit? And what benefit is it going to have for kids in the classroom? And I know that's something you talk about on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's part of the reason that I chose duct tape, but part of the reason I chose duct tape as the, as the name of everything is because it's kind of fun to reference duct tape, you know, in comparison to a screwdriver or a drill or a saw or a hammer. But the other part of it is that, that duct tape doesn't function on its own, right? It doesn't do anything by itself. And it's also never a goal of its own, right? You don't wake up and think like today I'm going to use some duct tape. You know, you have very specific goals or problems or needs or things you're trying to do. And then you choose the tool. So I, I think I wanted to make sure that it was clear that we knew that the, the educational technology can't stand alone and can't be chosen just as you alluded to, like this is the new and exciting tool out there. You only use it if it's meeting a goal for you. You don't get a new new roll of duct tape at the store and go looking for places to use it. You know, you put it on your shopping list if you have a need for duct tape. You know, it does go the other way around. You don't buy it for fun. You buy it specifically to meet a certain goal. And that's, that's the way those educational technologies tools work. Like, for example, one of the most 
popular ones out right now is blue kit came out recently. It's a review game tool that I, I love playing with my students and it came out in January or so, maybe even before that. And I thought it looked like fun, but I didn't use it at all until standardized test time came up in my school year, because I knew number one, my kids were worn out and didn't want to focus on really uh, like, like drudging through some review, but I also knew I needed to prepare them for the standardized test. And so then I went, okay, now it's time to use that tool, right? Now it's time to pull out that duct tape because it's fun for the kids. They're going to have a blast with it. And it's also going to help them review. And that's the way we got to look at those new, new shiny tools that are out there is do they meet a goal for me? And if not, I'm going to become aware of what they do. And I'm going to set them aside for now and come back to them when they do meet that goal for me, when I do have that problem that they meet. And you know, on my podcast, we talk a lot about this big shift from teacher-directed classrooms to student-centered classrooms and really give letting kids take more ownership of their learning. Mm. Um, you know, this is kind of a big question, but, but where does educational technology kind of fit into that process? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you bring that up because that's one of the major, there's a lot of anecdotes in the educational duct tape book. And the majority of them came out of that STEM class that I used to teach that I mentioned. Um, I started teaching the class. It was an elective, not elective class. I'm sorry. It was a exploratory class for seventh and eighth graders. So every seventh and eighth grader took it for one quarter in seventh grade and one quarter in eighth grade. And I taught one of the two grades of it. And the, my co-teacher and I, or the co-designer and I were very excited about the class. We're like, we're teaching these kids how to design games and scratch and how to type computer code and how to 3d print and how to design mini golf courses. This is going to be amazing. This class is, the kids are gonna be so motivated. And then we found out that some kids were, and they loved it. And some kids were not. And when it really became a, a realization for me is when I had this one particular class that I was like, what, how, how did this group of students end up together? Like, this is the most difficult group of students I've ever taught. I, I thought maybe I had been mean to the guidance counselor at some point in time without recalling it. And she was decided to punish me with this grouping of students. And I had to figure out what, what do I do about this group of students? And at first, and I elaborate on the story in the book, but at, at first, I, I was student blaming. I was like, well, there's nothing I do about this grouping, right? This kid, this kid's tough. That kid's tough. I got, there's nothing I do about it. But then when I kind of reflected, I realized that I was a little bit to blame because I thought about who my behavior problems were in this class. And I realized that it was some of the slower processor processors or slower thinkers or kids that just were really uh, moved at a slower process going through content. And so they were struggling at the pace that I was teaching at. And so they were goofing off because they were behind and maybe feeling frustrated. And the other kids misbehaving were the kids who were fast processor, fast thinkers or fast workers who were done and waiting for me to catch up. So they were bored. My Goldilocks kids were just fine. Like the kids that were her, where I was teaching at that perfect pace for them, they were just fine. And so I realized that I had this problem where I was teaching everybody at the same pace as if they were the same student and it wasn't working and it was causing problems. So I developed a student paced class. I, I built a website on Google sites and I just put all of my activities in order. And I recorded videos of myself going over the instructions. And as the class evolved, I, I added in more and more student autonomy and the students just pro progressed through it at their own pace. Now, as years went on, we added in more student choice and stuff like that too. But we found that by doing that, not only did it free me up to support kids and not only did it get kids working at a pace that they were comfortable with, so they stopped misbehaving, it also increased student ownership. So they 
then not only were able to progress at the, at the, through the content at a pace they were comfortable with, they felt more ownership over what they were doing. And so I developed that. And that, that kind of was some of my earliest realizations of, of how we needed to shift who was taking ownership of the work in the class. Yes, we have our content standards we have to teach. And yes, we have these certain things we need to get through. And yes, we have these standardized tests that like them or hate them. I, I'm a, I'm a camp hate them. We have to prepare the kids for, but there's great successes when we start to give kids more and more student ownership. Yeah. And I think that's spot on because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing more and more momentum toward blended learning. Mm. And you talk like someone talk to someone like Catlin Tucker mm. or mm. Michael Horn or these folks that are actually doing a lot of this research and work on the blended learning model. Uh, but just the, uh, you know, it's not a one size fits all classroom. It can't be. Right. So, you know, you're talking about really letting kids not only have choice, but moving, moving at their own pace. If you think about blended learning, and you talked about the use of video, you know, what a powerful tool that yeah. I think is underutilized, quite frankly, in our classrooms. What advice do you have for those folks that want to have uh, maybe a, a different options for kids to move at varied paces? Well, so one, one thing is, first of all, to, to note that as you alluded to, we, we can't do it without the teacher, right? So when I use video, it was video for the most part of me. Right. So, uh, so I was still their teacher. I was still the face and the voice the face. They were seeing the voice they were hearing. They were still connecting with me. They were just doing it at a pace that worked better for them. So I think that's the first thing to understand is you're not taking the teacher out of the classroom. You're making the teacher more accessible to the students by letting them process that at the time and speed and manner that they want to. And you're letting them repeat things. And you're also freeing the teacher up to move around the room because the video is already recorded, the video is already posted, and now you're kind of free to be a supporter during the class period. So I think that's kind of my selling point for it. Um, some lessons I learned throughout the process is, uh, first of all, there's been some studies done. There's a blog post on uh, Jennifer Gonzalez's uh, called the pedagogy site uh, that six to nine minutes is when student attention to instructional videos starts to wane. There's a little drop six to nine minutes. And at nine, it kind of it really drops. So if so, you don't want to go over nine. Sometimes you have to, and sometimes I've had to, uh, and it happens. And so the tool that I then use along with that is use a tool like Edpuzzle uh, or Nearpod or PlayPosit, where you could embed questions into your video, make sure the students are following along, and also formatively assess them as they go. Because just watching the video is not enough if they don't actually understand the video. And I've worked most of my years with middle schoolers, and they're perfectly content watching a video to say they got it done and not understanding any of it. That's just fine with them. All they want to do is prove to me they did it. And so that Edpuzzle uh, or any of those other tools helps me make sure they understand it and also gives them some ownership because now they're, they're self-assessing. They're, they're being forced to self-assess as they go and see if they really do understand it. So it builds in some ownership um, kind of indirectly by doing that. And, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about about COVID and pandemic education. Mm -hmm. Now that we're on the other side of this and we have a chance to reflect, um, what do you think some of the things are that are really going to stick moving forward? And what's really the benefit that, that, that came out of COVID and being forced to, quite frankly, sit in front of the, the laptop screen and learn how to use some of these digital tools? Yeah, I, I tell you the one thing that I really, th I really hope sticks uh, is what the educators did during this year. I don't want them to have to work this hard anymore. I, I definitely want the workload to be reduced for them. But one thing that, I, that educators did that I've been trying to help them do for years is 
they, they did educational duct tape, right? They, for years, I've been trying to get them to understand you don't have to use all the technologies. You just have to identify where your needs are and identify technologies that help you with that. And it, it's been overwhelming for educators to do, but in March of 2020, they very quickly went, well, I need to connect with my students live. Uh, I need to send instructions home. I need to build rapport with my students and I need to catalog all the information of what they're going to work on while they're at home. And educators went, okay, I'm going to use Zoom. I'm going to use Google Classroom and I'm going to use Flipgrid or whatever the tools were they used. And they did exactly what I've always said they should do, which is identify what your problems are, identify what your needs are, and then identify the technologies that help you with it and then go about that learning. Now, hopefully we'll never have to be in a situation where they have to learn that much and do that much out of their ordinary work to prepare their students. But hopefully that mindset of thinking about what do I need and what tools can help me with it, hopefully that will stick. That's the huge thing that I hope does stick. You know, and I think another positive uh, is, you know, Google Classroom is making some updates with the, in a, with the Anywhere School uh, program. And I don't know if that was something that was in the works or if it was something that was accelerated through COVID, but anytime Google Classroom is going to take the time to make some of those positive updates, that, that has to be a good thing for education. Yeah, I think we definitely saw a lot of ed tech tools accelerate certain parts of their development, like Classroom, especially Google Meet and Zoom. Like they would never be the way they are now had COVID not really accelerated their, their model. So we, we are really fortunate that a lot of the tools that we like and use have really rapidly improved because they were forced to, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? Uh, and it also is the greatest, greatest motivator, right? We, we truly motivated those ed tech tools to learn and grow faster than they ever would have. And, and also it became a situation where they got more data, so to speak, that you, they, they suddenly saw, 10, 15 times as many teachers using their tools and 10, 15 times as much feedback. And so they were really able to identify what areas needed to improve uh, and ways they can make their, their tools more effective. And they have. So the nice thing is once we get back to some semblance of normalcy, um, we're going to have tools that are super powered tools now for our uh, you know, more regular classrooms. Well, Jake, it's been a great conversation. Again, I'm a big fan of the podcast and all the work that you're doing. I can't wait to see the book. Uh, I do want to give you a, a closing thought as we go out here. Uh, you know, I get asked this question a lot. I'm sure you do as well. In, in terms of professional development this summer, uh, you know, what should educators be looking at doing? You know, a lot of folks want to, you know, try to become a Google certified teacher or they want to go to their local uh, ed tech conference. What advice do you have just to engage and become more familiar with some of the new tech tools that are out there for next school year? Well, I, I think, Greg, doing something like what they're doing right now and listening to your podcast is a great step, right? But I, I think also we're, we're in a situation now where there is such a plethora of opportunities out there, such a plethora of resources of uh, professional development that they shouldn't feel that they're required to do it a way that doesn't speak to them. You know, they, if, if, the, if you're a podcast listener, you know, go to that education podcast network page and subscribe to five new podcasts and listen to those, right? Or if you enjoy watching YouTube, go hop on there and follow my channel and follow Sethi DeClerc's channel and follow Sam Carey's channel and follow some new YouTube channels. Or if you're a book reader, you know, grab 
grab some new ed tech books or some education books and read them. And then those things, like you said, like getting Google certified and things like that are fantastic too. But I think, I think the two things that we want to think about is number one, what's, what's my learning style, just like we want our students to do. What's, what's my learning style as a, as a, uh, as a teacher trying to grow professionally. And also what are my areas of growth that I need? You know, I had a friend reach out to me and say, Jake, should I get Google certified? And I said, well, it depends on why you want to get Google certified. Are you trying to become a trainer or something like that? Are you trying to be, you know, take on an ed tech special specialist role? And he said, no, I just want to get better at using technology for my classroom. And I said, well, you know, do you feel like you need to get better at, you know, Google Classroom and Google Docs and Google Slides and things like that? If you do, and if you feel like they can impact your classroom, well, then great. That's a great path for you to take. But you've really got to think about why, what's your why behind the professional development? So what's your why behind it? And also, what's your style? What's your way that you're going to grow most? And there's so many options out there, I think, um, that we can learn from. Well, again, great advice. And folks, you want to follow Jake on Twitter at Jake Miller Tech. You also want to check out the website at jakemiller.net. Jake, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much, Greg. And thanks for what you do for educators. I appreciate it. So that's a wrap on another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. Once again, a big thank you goes out to Jake Miller for sharing his knowledge and expertise on all things related to educational technology. If you're not following Jake on Twitter, you need to do that at Jake Miller Tech. You want to check out his website at jakemiller.net. Follow the blog. A lot of great information there. And of course, you want to be looking for the educational duct tape book that will be out later this summer. I also encourage you to check out the Education Podcast Network. And you can follow us on Twitter at edupodnet. That's where you can find Reimagine Schools podcast. You can also find Jake's podcast and a lot of other great content uh, created by educators for educators. So again, check out the Education Podcast Network. If anyone out there has an interest in maybe doing a summer podcast study, I'd love to kind of walk you through that with the Reimagine Schools podcast. I'd be glad to do a Zoom meeting with you or we can connect via Twitter. So follow me at Dr. Greg Dolan or send me a DM. So with that, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode as we continue to roll through the summer and plan for the new school year. And as always, folks, be the change in your school district and do what you can to create better schools for kids. Thank you.